0: Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based on being outside. Wow, it's already episode 25 of season four. Wow, it's already October of 2019. It's insane. How? 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 I don't know. This is Lisa. This is Iris. Coming at you outside by design. We don't understand time. We don't understand time, but we do understand the business side of creativity. We sure do, and that's why we're here, and hopefully that's why you're here. Yeah. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot of positive feedback about this podcast lately. Like, I'm getting a lot of emails. So, if you would like to be on the podcast, or you want to tell us how stupid our commercials are, (laughs) uh, then you can email us, hello, at wheeliecreative.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, Lisa, today we have an incredible guest on the show. Yes, I really, really love Heidi Jo Dent. She is so much fun. I met her here in Whitefish at a mountain bike event, and... She's just killing it at being hilarious and nice and fun to be around and then just shredding on mountain bikes. So I was thrilled when I found out after like three days of hanging out with her that she had formerly been a U.S. Paralympian. Um, So she'd been to the Olympics for Team USA, which is crazy. It took that long to come up in conversation. And then I was like, boy, do we have a podcast for you. Yes, we do, and she has an incredible story, and you guys are about to hear it. She talks about basically how she ended up on Team USA for the Paralympics, how she ended up in Sochi and had some huge heartbreak during her competition there. She talks about how, as she calls herself an active amputee, how that creates a challenge with prosthetics and finding gear that works for her. She also talks about finding purpose in her new adventure, which is as a special education teacher. And Heidi Jo has so much to tell us, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. This is a fun one. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, Heidi, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm excited you're here. Thanks. I'm stoked to be here. The first question we always ask everyone is to describe where they are and what they are looking at.
1: Um, I am sitting at my kitchen table at my house in Washington State, and I am looking out at my garden, which is flourishing right now, and I'm really stoked about it. Oh, nice. You guys don't have snow yet, huh? (laughs) No. um, We actually live at a really low elevation. It's like 300 feet above sea level or something like that. Um, so we don't get snow until pretty late in the year, but when it comes, it comes feet at a time usually. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, well, you are awesome and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to hear about your journey as a Paralympic athlete and, um, the transition into your new life after, after the Olympics. Awesome. Yeah, so you want to tell us about yourself and tell us your
1: story? Um, sure. Um, I I don't have my right leg. Um, I was born with a birth defect called fibular hemimelia, which uh, basically just means that I was born without my fibula and then most of my foot and ankle bones. So when I was born, I had, like, two little toes and this crazy, like, something – And they chopped that off when I was 13 months old. And so I grew up um, in a really small mountain town. Uh, I think that we had like 600 full-time residents um, in a school that has had like 250 kids in it, um, preschool through 12th grade. Um, And so I grew up being the only amputee in my town and the only amputee I really knew for a long time. And that was, like, the best thing ever because I never learned what it meant to be disabled or what, like, that, that idea of being disabled is. Like, I was just another one of the kids. I ran around. I did all of the things. Um, and then when I was about 11, I was at the Shriners Hospital in Salt Lake getting – I had just come out of a knee surgery. And I got approached by some people that were getting ready to start a snowboarding camp, uh, for amputees. Um, and they're like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, I mean, yeah, my older sister skis and snowboards and I've always really looked up to her. And of course I want to go, I get to get out of school for a week and go play in the mountains. Duh. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I got my start into snowboarding. And I did that. I would travel for a week to Utah every year and do that all the way up until I graduated high school. Um, and then after I graduated high school, I went to... Th- I, well, actually, my senior year of high school, I got super into ice climbing. Uh, Uray, the town I grew up in, is um, a mecca for ice climbing. And I'd had some friends who were really into super into it like older friends uh friends of our family and they'd always like offered my parents to let me to take us ice climbing but neither my parents are big fans of it and so when I was a senior I'm like "Mm, you guys can't really say no anymore I'm gonna go ice climbing (laughs) and um and that just was really awesome for me because it introduced me to a whole nother kind of like outdoor sport that and like the world of outdoor rec which um that world has shaped who I am and has shaped nearly every single decision I've made from that point on. Um, But yeah, so I I got into ice climbing. And then when I went to college, I I got hired on at the outdoor rec program there um, to help lead ice climbing trips. And while I was working for them, I ended up with a second amputation on the same leg. Um, I had some pretty severe like nerve and bone damage so they chopped another four inches off my stump and while I was working for the outdoor rec program I just became this whole different person like everything from my political views to my body type to my friends to like what I wanted to do with my life it all kind of shifted and um a side effect of working for an outdoor work program like the one I worked for So I got all these life experiences, not the best grades in college. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was at the point um, I was starting my fifth year as my fifth year. Se- I was a fifth year senior at this point, and just floundering. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I'd gotten gotten into whitewater kayaking. Uh, very like aggressively, and that's where all of like my time and money was going. And I was thinking about dropping out of school and going down to Chile to go just kayak and bum down there for a while. When snowboarding was announced that it was going to be a part of the U.S. Paralympic team, or the or not the U.S. Paralympic team, but a, of the Paralympic circuit, which I had known about. Like I had had some like interactions with, just because the active amputee community is pretty tight-knit and small so I had had I had it was on my radar and I had had people approach me about doing it but at that point like snowboarding wasn't a huge part of my life it's something I did but it wasn't something that I felt super passionate about but then it got announced and I I got like the official invite to come train for a team while I was at work at the outdoor rec program and my boss Chad who just is probably one of the biggest inspirations in my life, uh, heard me get the call and proceeded to hear me to turn it down. And he just like pulls me and he's like, what are you saying, Heidi? And Chad has like a very dirty mouth. So there was like lots of F words and like very much passion about how I was making just a horrible decision and that I needed to like call them back and and try this he's like you got to be a part of something that's never been done before you're at the forefront of your sport and he knew that I wanted to do something like when I was done with school that somehow involved people that live with various like challenges and doing something to affect change and he um he was like this is how you do that and he gave me this like insane speech about how I needed to call kept the coach back and um and accept this like offer that they were giving me and then he handed me his phone and made me call them and so I dropped out of school and <sighs> I packed all my stuff in my car and I moved to uh Copper Mountain and that's where I, tra- I trained with my um, my first ever like snowboard team. I lived in a house with them and uh, it turned out I was like pretty good at border cross. Um, I I was fortunate because it was a pretty new sport so the field wasn't overly deep so it was a really good time to get into it. Um, and I, I did really well at my first NORAM and got an invite to get onto the World Cup circuit and then that just kind of spiraled. So after my first season I competed in... Two World Cups, three World Cup Cups. I don't remember. Um, and I, I podiumed at all three, and then I ended up being the U.S. national champion that year. And then that, sec- <laughs> yeah. And then it that secured me a spot on the U.S. team. And then that's what I did for a few years: is I worked random jobs in the summertime and trained and followed winter, and I got to see a sport like blossom from nothing to become a, a huge sport i got to compete in sochi russia um which was really amazing it was also very heartbreaking for me i snapped my prosthetic foot right before the race and i raced on a broken foot and i went into that race ranked second in the world and i ended up placing sixth ah um, which was really hard for me it was like the one t- like my whole town at home who had just supported me like both financially and just like mentally to get there. And all of my friends and family were watching. And a lot of them, that's the only time they've ever gotten to see me snowboard. And I just, I was horrible. I disqualified on a couple of my runs and it was like I said, heartbreaking for me. Um, But it was still amazing and it was a great experience. And then, um, let's see here, a couple of years later, uh, there was some change in staffing for the snowboard team. And I had a difference in philosophy and perspective of the new changes that were going on with the team. And I kind of took that as a sign that it was time for me to be done. So I, I retired and Um, Within a year of me retiring, I finished my bachelor's degree, I got married, I bought a house, I got a dog, and I moved to Washington State. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. Heidi, that's an awesome life story, and I have so many questions. Okay. That was amazing. Okay. (laughs) So you you broke your prosthetic foot right before... Your race?
1: Oh my god, yes, it was horrible. So, um so leading up to the Olympics, they tell you like you have so many meetings and just so many trainings and there's just so there's so much stuff that you don't realize goes into the Olympics, but like you're part of it, right? And like Oser, the company of foot that I was riding, they had a booth there. And they're like, Yeah, there's spare Olympic like leg parts in hindsight. I should have brought an extra foot. I didn't, mm-hmm. and um, I snapped it. So I actually snapped it in training the day before, and I went to Oser, and they didn't have a foot that would work. Um, and uh, we tried a couple things, but nothing that would have would have worked for me because I have such small feet. And at that point, I was riding on a foot that was um, really low profile, and they just didn't have any there. So we like pieced it together, and it like kind of worked. But then, like, my training run of the race, like, the piecing together just kind of fell apart, and so I couldn't use my toe side, so every time, like, I would go to turn onto the toe side of my snowboard, um, my foot would just collapse underneath me. <laughs> it was horrible. Oh. But it's okay. Oh. It's okay. It was a really good learning experience. I learned a lot from that. Um, I immediately stopped snowboarding on that foot, and I got a foot from, a. Uh, amazing company that I still use to this day for snowboarding and mountain biking that is designed by a friend of mine who has a company. He is an amputee himself. He, um, My my new foot has like a fox shock. It's 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 100% better. And I, I wouldn't have wow. probably like addressed that if I hadn't broke the foot. And I also learned a very valuable lesson about having my shit together before I go out and do something important.
0: Wow. You really have a positive spin on that. I'm really impressed.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks. I didn't the day it happened. (laughs) It makes you feel better.
0: (laughs) Hey, Lisa. Hey, Iris. How do you feel about your current mattress? Do you have good sleep in it? Yeah, I think the nice thing about having a good mattress is having really good sleep and then really good dreams. That's true. You know what else helps you reach your dreams? What? A creative agency called Wheelie. How? It helps every business have an idea or a dream or like maybe you wanna sell a bazillion things in Q4 but you don't know how to do it. You need a creative agency that has your back. You need Wheelie. And how can you find Wheelie? WheelieCreative.com. You should do it so you can achieve your dreams and sleep better at night. I love Heidi's attitude about her prosthetic breaking in the Olympics because that is so, so heartbreaking, but she's found a way to turn it into a positive, turn it into a learning experience, and just, she has such a great outlook on life. She's got that growth mindset. She really does. So along those same lines of finding that heartbreak and trying to deal with it, Heidi's about to talk about uh, creativity in her life when it comes to gear. Yeah, and just being able to make things happen. Yeah, let's hear it. Wow. And so like this podcast is about creativity in the outdoor industry. And I hear you saying that, you know, you guys were trying things and trying to figure out how to make this foot work. And I mean, is that part of your life? Is that like a lifestyle for you? Or how how does your unique challenge kind of force creativity into your life?
1: Oh, yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, (laughs) Every single day. So something that's That's fun about being an amputee and like I said earlier, like I've, and something that was actually really difficult for me when I was, I was snowboarding professionally is I felt like I had shifted from being defined as who I am as a person to being defined as who I am as an amputee, Hmm. Um, which is to people who maybe don't live with some sort of significant challenge, that might not be a big distinction. But I've really strived my entire life not to be um, not to be held back or or thought of as an amputee first. Um, like I hate the word inspire. Like if you ever tell me that I inspire you because I don't have a leg, I'm probably gonna punch you in the face. <laughs> like I would rather you're like, Yeah, you're awesome because you do all this stuff and you do it awesome and you do it and you sure you don't have a leg. But that's not why you're inspiring. You're inspiring because you do other stuff, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. so when I was competing, like I, and I was in a world with people who I'm still in contact with. And I truly love like tons of really amazing athletes, um, that do inspire me, but not because they do what they do without a, with a prosthetic, just because of the fact that they do what they do, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And so to bring that into like the creativity and figuring it out the amount of amputees that are, like, really, like, active um, is really small if you look at the entire population of people that live with with an amputation. And so 90% of prosthetic equipment is, and, like, the way prosthetics are designed, they're not designed for people who get out and do stuff. I mean, they're designed for people who are pretty sedentary and that's like slowly shifting mm-hmm. um, there's actually quite a bit of like research and stuff going into really awesome prosthetic technology a lot of which is coming from like the military just because uh, they ne- they're like need to support the troops that are coming back um, and so some of that trickles down into civilian but a lot of that stuff is just so expensive um, so I've, I've I've learned that I have like the most basic equipment that's functional and then, yeah, I'm constantly breaking it. Like, currently, my leg is taped. <laughs> it's, like, taped together. Um, I have, like, sticks shoved in my foot shell because my foot is, like, so worn down that, like, my foot shell just jiggles, and it's really annoying. So I am constantly being creative in, like, trying to figure out how, one, how to make my leg function because they're expensive, too, and, like, I'm cheap. <laughs> I don't like paying for, like, new parts all the time. So I would say creativity is an essential element of being an active amputee <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I mean we you and I met at at a Rome event mm-hmm. and uh you just you just shred and then I was talking to you for so long and then I was like whoa you have a prosthetic foot like so so late into the day I, I didn't even notice you know
1: right and that's how it should
0: be yeah and I can imagine that you're just Constantly breaking things because you tread really hard.
1: Yeah, and I'm real klutzy, real rough on the equipment. It turns out. <laughs> wow.
0: So, is and I don't know. I don't know the answer to this at all. Um. So you already have to deal with like how women's gear is sometimes poorly made. Mm-hmm. Um. It, does that apply to your prosthetic as well? Like, is there women-specific? Yes. aspects to it or
1: yeah really well yeah not necessarily women specific aspects to it but i do have to be careful what women's because women's gear is poorly made you just nailed it yeah um and just in general small gear is poorly made like i feel like most generic like when they design something like i'm going to bring this back to kayaking if you look at kayaking and they build the first boat they always build is a medium boat it's the best boat for the design right and then they make a bigger one and a smaller one. Of course, when you shift dimensions, how stuff is going to handle changes. And generally speaking, like the small stuff just doesn't work very well. And that's true for, I feel like, a lot of women's stuff. Like women's gear seems like it's designed for men first and then modified for women. It's not designed for women first. Mm-hmm. It's like a women's version of a man, or not even men, but like a gender neutral like product, right? And I totally mm-hmm. deal with that with my leg all the time. Like... um. My dry suit for kayaking, like, I have to reinforce my, my, the leg, the leg on it, so I don't wear holes in it. Um, kayaks, like, the small ones, I have to be really careful, because my leg um, can get caught in it, and can become really dangerous, so I actually paddle a medium boat, and I don't paddle a lot of playboats, because it's scary. Um, but yeah, that's something I, I totally deal with.
0: Wow. Do you carry, like, a, like, a emergency kit with, like duct tape and it sounds like you have sticks (laughs) something something that like how do you or do you just like find whatever's around
1: oh gosh you know how I was saying earlier that I learned a valuable lesson about being prepared yeah that was maybe a little bit of a lie because I'm still the most underprepared person (laughs) I like I was backpacking in Arizona one day and my foot like I was like five miles in and my foot rattled off because it's like bolted on And I realized I didn't have the wrench to put it back on. And so like me and my husband were sitting there for like an hour trying to go through all of our packs, trying to figure out something we could put my foot back on with. Um, I need to do better about that. I should carry an emergency pack. I don't. No, but
0: that's, it's, you speak about this in such a funny way. Like I'm enjoying laughing with you about it um, because your verbs are hilarious, like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just jiggling and shaking off, and I'm just like, what is happening? Um, but that's your life.
1: It is. <laughs> Every day. Something new. <laughs> wow. Oh,
0: man. Um, so also, on this podcast, we have a word of the month, and so you're in the month where the word is purpose. And so when you hear the word purpose, what what do you think of?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Um... So knowing I was knowing I was going to be on this, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I would say that when I think of purpose, I would say that that word is one of maybe the three words that is like my driving like force in life. Um Ooh. I fully believe that whatever I'm doing needs to have a purpose and maybe I don't know what it is at the time, but I'm always looking for that purpose. Because what is what is action without purpose, right? It's just floundering at some point. Um, and I think that for me, like it's really, it's really important for me to have a purpose behind what I'm doing. Like I've spent enough of my life, and I'm I'm young, so I have a lot to go. But I've spent enough of my life not really knowing what the purpose of what I was doing was and just kind of doing it because I didn't have anything else to do. But all of those things that I just floundered and did, looking back, like drove me to this place I'm at now that I feel like very fulfilled. And I feel like I do have a purpose. And I think that people should strive to find purpose in what they're doing no matter what, or they should stop doing it if they can't find that purpose.
0: Yeah. So what, like, what are some of the ways that you find purpose?
1: Um, well, in a couple ways. Like, um, I I now I teach special education now. Um and this is my second year doing it. And that's another one, like, that was not my plan. Um, I didn't really have a plan. I knew I wanted to live in white salmon because the kayaking was really good. And then I was either gonna be a plumber or a para at a school and the para job happened to get a hold of me first. Um, and, but that, like, that para job, like, turned out I was pretty good at it, and my boss was like, hey, they have this program to tr- turn, like, paras into teachers, you should become a part of this program. And now, like, I went through that program, and that was really challenging, and I get to teach kids that, and I, I'm i a life skills teacher, teacher so I, I, I work with students that live, with um, very challenging disabilities, um, ones that like are pretty life altering. And I I really do believe that like me being a part of their lives, being somebody who has grown up like with my own challenges, like I can relate to them more than a lot of other people um, just Like, my personality, where I think I'm most of the time, like, a teenager at heart anyway. And I can just, like, (laughs) I generally just don't care, like, how ridiculous I am. And that really, like, reflects on these kids and my, like, personal background of just, like, being active. And I feel like my purpose is to teach these kids that they can do it. I mean, they might have to do it a little differently. They might have to adapt. It might take longer. But... I um I feel like for me like that's how I'm finding purpose right now, and talk to me again in five years. Maybe my purpose will be something different. But right now, I feel like I'm very fulfilled, and it's because I have that purpose.
0: That's amazing. Well, thanks. I've yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, do you are you still a professional athlete in any capacity, or are you a purely recreational athlete now?
1: Um, purely recreational. Um, I. The professional athlete like scene turns out is not for me. It's very uh-huh. um, you have to be really into like self promotion and there's just certain boxes you have to be able to check to be successful as a professional athlete that I just don't care about. Like I don't care how many mm-hmm. Instagram followers I have, and I'm not trying to plug twelve different companies. And that was just one of the things that was really hard for me um, when I was was competing professionally is I just like to be successful and to make money in that, that's how you have to do it. And that was just not for me. So, um, I, I do all the sports now. (laughs) Um, and, uh, that's something I love. Like when I was snowboarding professionally, like all the other sports I did really took a back seat. Um, and Uh like I said, like snowboarding is something I'm, I'm decent at. Clearly I like, I made a living doing it, but It's not my passion. Like, I would much rather go mountain biking or kayaking. I mean, I I retired two years ago, two winters ago, and I've been on my snowboard twice um, since then. Now, this year I'm going to buy a pass. Like, one of the reasons I haven't been on my snowboard is I've been in school and moving and just financially it hasn't been feasible, and I'm really excited to get back out there and do it. But... I don't have that same drive that I do for the other sports I do.
0: I think that's really cool that you have redefined your purpose with like so much optimism and vigor. Like I'm really impressed by that because a lot of people struggle with like, oh, I am not pursuing a career as an athlete anymore. I don't self-identify as an athlete anymore. But it sounds like you skipped that phase.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that a lot of it was – I, for me, because – Like I said, I was in a really unique position because I wasn't trying to be a Paralympic athlete. Um, There's a lot of people that they like their entire driving like life to get to like that point where they're competing at an elite level. They've started when they were five, you know, and that's been the only thing that they have in their life, and their purpose has been to be this athlete. But for me, like I kind of stumbled, and my purpose was for a while like to be this athlete, but it wasn't before it started, and like it's not now. Um, I, now, I, I view myself as a very athletic person. Um, I love to get out and do activities, and I like to do them well. But I think that being defined by that like athlete mentality was just never for me.
0: Are you a busy business owner that doesn't have time in the morning to make breakfast when you're running out of your door with your briefcase and your coffee? Super dope briefcase. You look good. Well, there are companies out there that will send frozen fruit cups right to your door. So you just pour them into your blender in the morning and you buzz it right up and it turns into a delicious smoothie and it's so fast and easy. That reminds me of a creative agency I know that takes all your ideas and blends them together into a digital strategy. Good ideas, bad ideas, great ideas, our ideas, your ideas. We take all those ideas and throw in other things like experience, and strategy, and facts, and come up with the greatest digital strategy your brand has ever tasted. WheelieCreative.com, keeping your brand delicious. Something I really admire about Heidi's approach to creativity that I think a lot of our listeners will enjoy too is letting your creative fuel grow and expand with you as you grow and change, and so now I just love how Heidi was focused on snowboarding and now she's kind of letting herself evolve as a human and moving into other sports and focusing on kayaking and bringing her creativity into teaching and just sort of like keeping it so keeping creativity fluid instead of rigid and it's just so amazing yeah she's just always been able to follow her passions and find a purpose in that and then as that purpose changes just follow where it's going okay back to Heidi We haven't had this perspective on the podcast yet, and I I love your ability to just kind of roll with life and do it with a smile, and um, I mean, it, it really sounds like you're just like, yeah, okay, so then the Paralympics called, and so I did that, and now, you know, these guys called me back first, so now I
1: teach special ed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, it just seems like I see why you would be good at kayaking, because you're really good at just navigating.
1: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate
0: that. Like, navigating what life throws at you. Like, I totally see that. Yeah. I see that side of you.
1: Yeah. My lack of, like, ability to plan ahead definitely has forced that skill upon me, I think, in hindsight. <laughs> Man, I think that's awesome.
0: And so, like, do you kind of bring that mindset into your work now, teaching kids?
1: Oh, yeah. And you have to, like, so when I first started teaching last year, I would just stress out and I would spend hours and hours making these lesson plans because I thought that's what I had to do to be a teacher. I'm like, I have to have these, like, three-page lesson plans for every lesson I'm teaching and I have to follow it and I have to be regimented and I have to get to the end of it and I have to test them on this day. Also, I'm just not a successful teacher. And then I realized that that is not the reality, especially in special education. Like, now, like, I plan out, like, a week. I figure out the activities and where we want to go. And then we just roll with it. And some days we end up just standing up and having a dance party because nobody wants to do any work. And some days my kids crush it and we bust out, like, 12 different, like, assignments that we needed to get done. And, and yeah, like, being able to navigate and just, like, think on my feet I think is probably one of my bo- most valuable um, qualities that I bring to the teaching table. Um, and I'm pretty good at like realizing early on that what I'm doing with a student isn't working and modifying it on the spot to make it better and to fit their needs at that moment.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Like that adaptability is key.
1: It sounds like. Yeah, it is. Like I, but honestly, I think any successful teacher or especially special education teacher, that's a quality they're going to have. It's, it, I couldn't imagine doing my job if I didn't have that.
0: Are you able to get kids outside and let them be transformed by nature in the way that you were? Like, is that part of your job now at all?
1: Not yet. I would like it to be. Um, I actually have a friend who is, um, who's just through her, her work environment, they got some, some money to start a kayaking club for kids that I'm going to help her with Um, and I would like I would very very much like to I mean that's what I want to do is I want to take these kids out and I want to teach them because I do feel like the outdoors is like the great equalizer Um, I have a mentor who once told me he said this about ice climbing but I think it's true for any like outdoor sport is when you go out ice climbing everybody has to put spikes on their feet and axes in their hand Um, so everybody has to adapt to climb the ice and everybody has to adapt to paddle the river or everybody has to put skis on their feet to go down the mountain, you know? And so just because your skis look different, the person with two feet or the person that's not in a wheelchair or whatever it is, they had to put the skis on just like you did. And now all of a sudden, like, that disability is gone. Um, And I do very, very, very much want to be, be able to do that in my current position. But right now I'm still in like the new teacher, just like stay in a float mode. (laughs) How cool is
0: that? So I I really like what you're saying about the outdoors being the great equalizer. Um, how else, how else have you encountered that?
1: Um, so I, when I, so when I was a kid, I talk about going to, um, on a couple different levels, actually. So when I was a kid, I talked about going to these um, these snowboarding camps, right, uh, with other kids. And have you ever heard of the concept of, like, learned helplessness? Yes. So that's something you see a lot in the the world of various challenges and not necessarily disabilities, like mental illness, um, all sorts like learned helplessness is a thing like you you get told once that you can't do something and people like certain people will believe that um and i i witnessed this a lot as a kid um at these snowboarding camps and and honestly like even in the paralympics like some of the adults i encountered i was like really um but so people like think they can't do something And then they go and they go out in the outdoors and they do something just as well as somebody who is, who, what I would call somebody who's able-bodied, which is kind of a taboo term nowadays, but somebody who has all their limbs and fully functional. Um, And that like seeing people like realize that, Oh, I can do this. This is awesome. It's super empowering and it's really empowering to watch that and witness that. And um, when I was, when I was an athlete, we used to run a lot of adaptive camps for like military and kids and just people helping getting people out. And I always found those like the best moments of what we did because we got to help empower other people to realize, to like look beyond the lot that they thought they were given.
0: Wow. That's a, that's a big one. That's a, that's a big statement. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. You just you just came out of the box that way, huh <laughs> being able to being able to see life like that,
1: well, yeah, I mean a little bit like my dad is very like upbeat, and you've met my sister like it's it's definitely a genetic thing, um, but it's also like a it's a how I was raised thing, like like I said, I was not raised to I wasn't permitted to use my my leg as an excuse, um. And if I tried to, that just pushed my parents to push me harder. And there were times that I just hated them. And I, I was like, this just sucks. But I always figured it out. And I am a much better person because of it.
0: That's so rad. So we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who work at, in marketing in the outdoor industry and – a lot of those people are photographers and what's so what's your advice coming from your personal experience um when working with a photographer if if the athletes are living with some type of challenge like what's your advice to photographers who don't encounter that every day
1: I mean it's so person dependent um and it depends on like the background of the people they're working with like so for me I'm an open book. Like there's nothing you can't ask me that I'm not going to answer brutally honest. But and also like, I'm not, I am not comfortable or I'm not uncomfortable talking about my past and like how I don't have a leg and all this stuff, but that's just me. I would say some of the best advice I could give people is to just be honest with who you're working with. Like, I mean, ask people like, Hey, are you comfortable? Like, talking about this like hey i noticed you're in a wheelchair and this is kind of funky for me can we like change that just like people that live with whatever disability or especially like physical disability that you can see like we know it's not like it i know i don't have a leg (laughs) like um and 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 most people are just going to be honest but like, actually, you know, I'm not comfortable. Like, I don't want to talk about that or I don't really like moving that, but most people be like, yeah, let's do this. And just like, people are really appreciative of just open and honesty. Like it sucks to be around somebody who like jumps around the fact that like, I don't have a leg or whatnot. I'm like, I know it's there. We can talk about it. Like that, that's, that's offending to me. It, it's like, it feels like an insult on my intelligence almost. Like I, 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 just be open and honest, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's it's weirder to pretend that it, – like, it makes it an elephant in the room situation if if you don't talk about it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Especially if it needs to be spoken about if you're going to ask an athlete to hike something over and over and over again to get the shot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they'll be like, mm, I could probably do this, like, three times. Or something that, like, I don't have a problem with um, because I have my knee is people who are, like, above the knee APTs, for example, like – Generally speaking, the knees that they use to do like active sports like snowboarding and mountain biking specifically, they are set up in a way that makes it really hard to walk actually. Um, But also like I know some really tough athletes that even though it looks like it's hard to walk and it looks like they're not having fun, they're they're still fine doing it because they're just tough and they've been doing it their whole lives or they've been doing it long enough. It's just part of it, you know. At some point it's not – it's just part of your life. It's not like an extra hindrance. It's just something you have to deal with. Like some people have to deal with wearing glasses.
0: (laughs) You make a casual comparison there, but, um, but it is, (laughs) I don't know. I like, yeah, I like your ability to, to approach it with a lightheartedness too. That's really, um, that's really cool. Um, what is like one thing that you want to tell our audience that I haven't asked you about?
1: So this is like some advice to parents with kids. So I I encounter this a lot and I'm very forward. So like I always like approach the kids, but um, I'll be out in public and um, I'll have shorts on or whatnot. And I I see little kids like staring at me because I know they want to know about my leg because it's different and it's weird, right? And they're probably going to tell me that. They're going to be like, that's weird. Um, But I'm fine with that because kids want to know. What drives me nuts is when you see a parent like take their kid away and be like, no, don't ask that. Like It's not okay to stare. It's okay to stare if you're a little kid, and it's okay to ask. Like We're never going to teach people to be more accepting of people who are different, and that goes for all aspects of life, not just people with disabilities, but people of different races, um, people of different genders, people of different sexualities. Like We're never going to teach people to be understanding and, open if we don't start it at a young age so you should parents should like let their kids question and every once in a while you're going to run into somebody who's just going to tell it's a kid like somebody might be like i don't really want to talk about it but most of the time like people appreciate it when when people open the door to that conversation
0: that's really really good advice cool well thank you so much for your time and uh Yeah, this was a good episode. Thanks for your words. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Heidi Jo. We loved having you on the show. What an incredible story. It was also really incredible that time we went (laughs) (laughs) downhilling. You can find Heidi at the links in our show notes, as well as the transcript to the show. And we'd really, really appreciate it if you leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We want to hear what you think about outside by design and it helps us get the show to more listeners yeah and also just a giant shout out to our listeners you guys are awesome and this audience is growing a ton lately so it seems like you're sharing it with your friends so thanks for doing that and um please stop by the office if you're ever in whitefish and i'll give you some coffee and a hug we have lots of that going around hugs and coffee and coffee and with that